Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, Andrea. Good morning. Hello, Alison. Good morning. Wow, it's afternoon here. It's very nice. <laughs> I've got the back door open. Okay. So I'm hoping that um, no one will come and make loud noises outside the back door and I can keep it open while we're recording, hopefully. <laughs> so. All right. So in yeah. Italy, do you say buon pomeriggio? Yeah. Buon pomeriggio. Yeah. Is that the That's fine. People don't mean? usually use that phrase. They either say buongiorno or buonasera. They don't often say yeah. the middle it's kind one. Kind of the same in yeah, English. Yeah, exactly. No, we don't exactly. Either. So you don't hear it very often. You know, there's a lot of similarities. There's so many similarities in Italian and English that I I didn't realize until I took a class mm. at the University of Washington mm. on on Italian, mm. and the teacher said, um, "Oh, in in Italian we have this exclamation. Good night." Mm. Um, Buonanotte, mm. kind of like almost like a like a curse a little bit, you know, like ah, good night. And she said we don't have that in English. And I said yes, we do. I hear people say that all the time when I was a kid. People say oh, good night, good grief, you know. And she said oh, I didn't realize that. And then she said and in Italian we have this very 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 formal um, way of speaking, which is the third mm. person. But we don't have that in English. And I said yes, we do. <laughs> Queen Victoria, we are not yeah. amused. <laughs> she was like oh, I guess we do. It's kind of languages lots of similarities. talk about them for ages because mm-hmm. there's just so many quirks and interest <laughs> and, and find out so much about the nation by its language that's something that i've learned a lot oh, that can be the podcast for our next one yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> we've got enough going on with this one at the moment to, to not include that one i think really so talking about things going on i can hear yeah. an italian um, lady whose name is actually sophia shouting outside my back door so i'm just going to shut it gently because nice. um, okay. she, she's shouting to someone across another He's balcony. Not bothering me. Anyway, um, so yes, thank you. I want to start by saying <laughs> thank you to our patrons, as always. And I saw that, Andrea, you put up the wonderful video call that we did with Chef Aaron Goldstein, um, where he showed us how to cook injuras. I mean, literally how to cook them. Yeah. And his technique of putting the, um, putting the batter in the pan in a kind of concentric circle the time just yeah, floored me and it's a wonderful video and i know that some of the patrons already listened to it and watched it um so thank you very much for ordering that and putting it up for us and if anyone's interested in yeah. supporting us in what we're doing and also getting some goodies back the things that we're super excited about like um watching aaron make injera then head to our Patreon feed. You'll find a link for it in the show notes and you can see um, how that rolls. So thank you. Yeah, it's a great it's a great video. So we, we recorded it audio and video. So you can either go into your private yeah. podcast feed for the patrons and listen to it. Or you can, if you look in the show notes for that, there's the link to the video and the password so you can actually watch him cook it yeah. too. So it's very interesting and injera is an amazing um it's just naturally gluten-free mm. and uh, fermented pancake talking of pancakes have <laughs> you have you had cool. breakfast ah 
No, no. not anything. <laughs> oh dear. Do you have plans for mm-hmm. something special? Didn't quite make it there. We'll probably we'll probably have um, our usual um, eggs. Uh, well, this is a good usual right now. Eggs uh, and the fermented pancakes. Um, the pancakes got really foamy, by oh, the way. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the batter. Um, it's been puffing up quite a lot in the fridge, so I know it's fermenting on its own. You know, own. I often have a, a kind of a, an endless pancake batter in the fridge, and sometimes I kind of forget about it for five or six days, and I get it out, mm. and it's like, ooh, <laughs> that's, that's very fermented. Wow. And then when I put it in the pan, all these massive holes yeah. appear, and it's really beautiful. I like, I like them better when they're fermented yes, like so that. The more fermented they are. I don't know if anybody else, what is crawling on my blinds? Mm. <laughs> it maybe is a giant ant carrying something or it's a spider. I can't tell. Anyways, um, as long as it eats bugs, I don't yeah, care. Yeah, what it yeah. is. <laughs> um, anyways, lost my train of thought there. But um, I was noticing the other day when I made some pancakes and we ran out of batter. Mm. So I made another batch, you know, on the spot and then made some out of that. I feel like I get really bloated when I eat those pancakes. But when I when after they sit in the fridge... For a day yeah. or two they don't seem to give me absolutely problems. completely so. there's so many little things i mean fermenting's not a little thing is it but really leaving it in the fridge for three days is, is not something that takes time i yeah. also find the same with yeah. um very cold food versus food that's been warmed up my um oh, i'll actually talk about the polenta bread because we had some for lunch but um when i make my polenta bread i like to warm it up even if it's just for a little while because when i have it straight from the fridge mm. it just doesn't go down as well so I think little things yeah, like that can really help your digestion. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's going to feed into our um, yeah. comfort food Completely. conversation today too. You've by just the given way. away what we're talking um, about. But today. on the <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> um, on our um, on on Aaron's injera mm. video, um, I actually <laughs> kind of translated that into my morning pancakes. I'm not pouring them in concentric okay. rings. No. But um, I did try it, and the batter was just like, "Yeah, well, we're we're not yeah. into this." Uh, <laughs> so you are chef, chef Aaron. Blobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you, anyways? Um, but I've been trying. I I've basically just kind of taken the way he was cooking it. I've been use. I always used grease on the pan, and now I'm like, let me try less and less. Mm. And then I'm realizing they're actually coming off better. You know, like I only maybe grease it every, between every four pancakes. Okay. Um, and then um, I actually went to the thrift store here mm. and found a metal flipper like the one he okay. was using. Um, and I I do not know how I got this far in my life mm. without one. Like, it is, I, my life has changed. So, wow. that's kitchen tools. <laughs> so, anyways, um, and it was like 50, cent, 50 cents, mm-hmm. I think, at the store. So, you know, it was a cheap little buy, and somebody else had used it. And then it looks pretty old, like, has probably from the 50s or something that's nice i like that <laughs> so it's coming back to life again yeah um but i do have something in front of me right now i have um some apricot tea mm. it's like apricot and black tea combined so it has Beautiful. a little bit of caffeine with some raw milk and some raw honey mm-hmm. and that's just giving me some like carbon fat to sort to of keep you going sail me through the next hour <laughs> i have a yeah. ginger tea all right did you have lunch yeah i did yeah you oh, had lots i have a oh, ginger tea in front of me good. Um, Gabriel's been a bit under the weather so I'm trying to boost my immune system and mm. I've learned recently mm. that very 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 strong ginger tea sipped throughout the day oh, yeah. does wonders for your immune system so 
I'm um, sipping that today. That's good. Yeah, we had lunch. We had um, yeah, quite quite an unusual lunch. We usually have sourdough bread for lunch, but we didn't today. We had the barley. Um, no, you usually have heart. Oh, that's true. Yeah, no, we didn't have heart. <laughs> <laughs> we had um, barley polenta bread. So that's a barley polenta. Um, which I don't know if you've seen the videos that I put out, I think last week, where I talk through sourdough porridge, sourdough polenta and sourdough polenta bread. But the oh. the barley polenta is made in the way that I make it in the video. There's um, the porridge okay. ones on my homepage, um, ancestralkitchen.com. And then there's a link on there where you can get to the other okay. two videos. And so I made the barley polenta bread mm. a few days ago, sliced that up and fried it. Um, in some olive oil for lunch and then we got some bok choy from the market last Thursday looking really really lovely so I chopped that up small and cooked it in another frying pan with ginger and garlic and then I scrambled some eggs for me and Rob Um, Gabriel had some fish and then we had some chunks of fat on the side because Flavio, my farmer, Ooh. I asked him if he could get yes. me some um, back fat to make lard, but also give me a piece mm. that I could use to make lardo. Do you know what lardo is? Uh, I have actually heard the word before, mm. but I... Okay, it's like... Um, it's a t- <clears throat> I don't know if I've heard, heard it used other than as like a pejorative. Uh, okay, okay. No, it's not one of those. It's something really delicious. It's, a, it's an Italian okay. cured um, product which is basically back fat of a pig that is covered in salt and various spices and left for a very long time, usually or traditionally under pressure in marble big vases pushed. But I don't have a marble vase and you can make it quite well by just salting it and putting your spices on and leaving it in the dark somewhere in the fridge, which I'm going to do. But what you need for it is quite a thick piece of um, back fat and one with the rind still on. So he managed to get me a piece with the rind still on, but it was too thin to do lardo. So he said, oh, I think mm. it's too thin. I'll just, you can just have this. Um, so I thought, hmm, okay, well, it's too hard to cut it up for, to, make lard, to make lard in the slow cooker because it's got a rind on it. So we just, um, I bought a load of vegetables and put them in a big roasting tin, onions, sweet potato, um, leeks, mushrooms, things like that. And mm. I just lay the back fat on the top and put it in the oven and so all the fat went all through the veggies and then at the end we had this big piece of kind of residual back fat and I just put it in the fridge and we've been chopping it up into little squares and putting some on the side of our plate so we had that on the side as well which I mean it's just eating lumps of back fat but it was absolutely delicious I remember when I went to Russia (laughs) like ages ago long before I was cooking this way and I was sitting at a rural family's house in Russia and the table's there, they've got the homemade vodka and the fish they got from the river and all these delicacies they'd made. And, and they had little pots with literally cubed bits of pork fat in and you're supposed to have a bit of the pork fat and then down your vodka. And I was <laughs> today at lunch, I was eating those bits of little back fat thinking, oh, I remember this, there's no vodka at our table, but wow. the fat was so good. So yeah, mm. that was my, I think I mentioned all. That sounds amazing. And we have a couple hog butcherings coming up. So it kind of mm. makes, that makes me want to try and do some. Oh, lardo. you should. Let me, um, let me send you the recipe that I've got because it takes yeah. a long time. Yeah. But I, lardo I is so it. good. And then you just, you just yeah. eat it uncooked. You just slice it really, really thinly. You can wrap it 
you can wrap a date in it. You can wow. put it onto a pizza. It's like a fat sausage. Yeah, it's basically fat. Like fat sausage, sausage fat basically. bacon. Basically, you put mm. juniper berries and lots of other things. Well, it it's, sounds it's lovely. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so this oh is kind of leading us into our topic today, which is comfort foods. I know, we're just going there. <laughs> ah, so yes. I, um, I'm really interested <laughs> to talk to you about this because I think we've got different Thank things you. to bring to the table in the conversation um, based on our kind of pasts. Oh. And it, it'll be interesting to explore it and kind of redefine comfort foods. I think that a lot of people think that if they choose to eat healthily or in quotes or they choose to eat ancestrally that a lot of comfort foods have to go out the window and I'm interested to dive into this with you and and kind of Mm -hmm. um yeah roll it over as it were where do you want to start yeah oh wow where Mm. to begin well um what we're going to talk about comfort food let's define our terms what is comfort food what does that mean yeah that's an interesting question so I tried to make some notes earlier thinking, oh, what, what does this mean to me? I know, me too. <laughs> and for, for me, the words I wrote down were luxury and then moment, sensation, treat, mm. soothing, trying to forget, senses so strong. And there's a mixture, I think, of those different kind of parts of my life in there. Because in the past... I use comfort food to forget what was going on in my life because it would blot it out because I've got the sensation of the comfort food in my wow. mouth at that moment. Therefore, nothing wow. matters. Um, oh my and, you know, my relationship to food is Ooh. oh completely different now to how it was when I was twice the weight I am now, age 20, eating white chocolate by the kilogram in my room. But it's, um, and it's been interesting to see how my relationship with comfort food has developed and changed and how I see it now. Yeah. How about you? What what do you define as comfort food? Well, um, <clears throat> uh, so, something you said right before we started recording mm. just really struck me. And kind of what you just said, but the way you said mm. it was just so raw. You said, my relationship with comfort food is complicated. Mm. It And it's changed a hell mm. of a lot. And that just really struck me. And now when you said just now, like trying to forget Mm. i feel like i'm gonna cry like just thinking about that that's what the word comfort food Mm. evokes in your mind um i mean that's that's really hard to hear um i don't think i'm the i don't think um, i'm the only one you know i think that a lot of our population isn't i mean it's not just food is it you can in order to get to blot out the problems in your life and the things that make you feel uncomfortable you can turn to food you can turn to shopping you can turn to sex you can turn to tv you can turn to cigarettes any any kind of numbing but yeah there's for me the kind of because i because i don't have the same relationship with comfort food that i had as a kid and an adolescence and a young woman it's it everything's different and and my life's run differently now, but I still mm. got that energy in my body. You know, I still can feel how I used to feel when I used comfort food like that. And so that's what I think I meant when I said really? it's complicated because even though these things yeah. leave us and we move on, there's still kind of an en- energetic imprint of them in our lives, I think, no matter how much yeah. we move on, you know? Well, it's kind of when you compared comfort food to any other numbing mechanism, you know gambling drugs whatever um i it reminded me of a conversation we had before where we talked about 
um, somebody can have an addiction to something and the way to kick that addiction is to quit mm. it completely. Mm. You know, you don't have a sip now and then you just stop drinking mm. alcohol completely if that's what the, the trigger and the problem is right there. But with a food addiction, mm. it's confusing because you have yeah. to keep eating. Yeah. So you can't just not eat. You have to control what you eat. And, and so it's this bizarre sort of... um. Like, it's like you have to learn how to manage and control the addiction rather than just walk away from it completely. Um, and then pray to God that it changes, you know, and it doesn't have that kind of chokehold on you anymore. Um, so then when you're saying that about comfort food, it's interesting because it's almost like, you know, you pinpointed the, the addiction wasn't, you know, just... It, a sandwich it was my comfort food that I used strategically for numbing so I had to walk away from that completely Mm -hmm. and then your your the caution you expressed when we talked about recreating comfort foods in in a new way and you were like ah you know kind of cautious about that Mm. you know and and sugar and things Mm. like that that you've talked about before that's just interesting for me to hear you bring that up yeah I oh this is such an interesting and deep topic um, from where I am at the moment, which yeah. was way down in my list of notes that I made, I would say that, that really mm-hmm. I don't have any comfort foods now because I don't need them. Ooh. And that doesn't mean that food isn't comforting to me because food is pleasurable and mm-hmm. it should be pleasurable in and of itself. I mean, it is. It's beautiful. And, you know, the difference between using it to medicate and becoming addicted like I did and then right. just right, 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 right. being in a position where, you know, it doesn't, it hadn't, didn't mm. just happen overnight. It's been 20 years of me dealing with it every right. single day and changing my world and my diet every single day. But to the point now where food is pleasurable and I love food and I still have some of those words, luxury in my foods every meal. I have mm. sensation in my foods every meal. I have moments in my foods every meal. Right. And I enjoy those, I get such pleasure from them, but the difference is that I'm not addicted to them anymore. And I'm not using them to medicate because of the way that my physiology has changed, the way I've changed my food, the way I've changed how I cook and eat my food, but also the way I've changed my kind of psychological health and what I'm doing in my life. And so my foods are still comforting, but they're not in quotes comfort foods i would say you know i don't i don't feel like i have mm. particularly any issues with being addicted to food at all and i cannot tell you what it is like to sit here and say that knowing how i was wow. as a child who just overate on on that kind of thing all the time it's it's amazing you know i sometimes i sit back and go wow did, you know that happened but obviously it was 20 years of little tiny happenings to get there all the way. But yeah, um, that's why I said it's kind of complicated because food is comforting and mm. should be comforting and should be really pleasurable. But with the way that food is made these days, normal food is made in order to make us addicted a lot of the time. And therefore it is easy for for anyone who's eating that kind of food and anyone also who is has perhaps nutritional deficiencies from the way that, that they're eating or not eating to fall into the trap of using food as comfort. 
and you know our, our world supports that it wants us to be distracted so we don't actually think about why we're here and and stand up for that i think hmm. no now that's it's interesting that you say that you don't have any comfort foods because i'm looking at my list the notes that i made i thought comfort food what do i think of and tea was one of the mm, first things that yeah. went on on there like to me that's yeah. a comfort food i don't know um i was th- i thought like tea soup stew like hot bowls of things it just like comforts me mm. i took i went out to the freezer last night and i took out a turkey and i i put the turkey like in, in a basket to bring inside with some other things and i thought turkey that's a comfort food for me and 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 turkey is just like like to me having a whole bird to <clears throat> excuse me having a whole bird to work with is like soothing because it's like oh look there's so much meat there's so much bones like I can make soup I can make broth I can make you know shredded meat and I just feel like this wave of just pleasure ah just like yeah, comfort you're, come over because me. you're yeah. in you're in your element so there in the kitchen like, doing all that stuff and knowing what it can yeah, see that that's true yeah. that is comfort isn't it and it, it it's yeah from my from what I'm hearing it's coming from the lips of someone who hasn't been addicted to food in the same way that I have been? <laughs> mm. No, I think, and, and I think you're you're right because I'm just thinking about it as we're saying this because when we say define terms, mm. and we're both walking in a different dictionary, yeah. and and I, I was thinking, okay, it's not that I haven't had issues with food, or I'm sure I still have <laughs> plenty of issues with food, um, but it never quite ran me the same way that you've experienced do you do you can you put the link to that blog post you and you remember that blog post you sent me a long Mm. time ago that you made like I just cried when I read it because I couldn't believe that you had actually gone through all of that and the pictures were just like I didn't know who I was Mm. looking at like it was just mind-blowing and and that might be really encouraging for somebody who's kind of walking through it to see because I never in a million years would have looked at you and thought that that was your past. Like never, mm. ever would have thought that. It's easy um, to look at people from the outside and think that they've always been like that and, yeah, and right. you know, think that we should yeah. be like them and, and yeah. all of that rubbish. That It is complete rubbish. Yeah, I can think that. Yeah. That's actually on my art website, that post. But yeah, it's got some pictures in it, which that's is easy to see. Yeah, it wasn't mm. on your ancestral one. It was on the yeah. Um but but when I think of comfort food, I just thought like let me like freestyle a list. I actually I called Lexi too. Or I sent like a voice memo and I was like comfort foods, mm-hmm. you know. And so she was saying things that she thought and she said, um, can I don't think summer foods can be a comfort food, can they? Mm. And I was like, Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not really thinking of like cucumber salad as a yeah, comfort war- food. Warmth like, is definitely part of it. Like, when I got down to the bottom of my notes, definitely. I was kind of saying, Well what what's my yeah. food that I associate with comfort now? And I've got a tea on there as well. But warmth is, I think, a very, very yeah. important one. The idea that you, you can you can see it physically, that you could sit there with your hands around something yes. and it's yes. warming up your exactly. hands. Exactly. Oh, my god. That's so comforting when it's cold. Yeah. Totally. I think it's those, ah, like, if we really, really, because I tried to boil it down in my head. I was like, okay, why is it comforting? What means it's comforting? Mm. Like, wherefore shall it be comforting? And I thought, it's just these primal needs of warmth and like um carbohydrate Mm. satisfaction for your brain a lot of times like i put honey in here honey's you know that that just hits like there's like a sweet spot that it itches Mm. right and then um the fat that you need like that lardo you're Mm. describing i was thinking as my mouth was watering like that's a comfort food right there because you eat it and you just like close your eyes and like 
wash away you know like oh my gosh like unreal you know salt on there um i don't know why i couldn't i was like protein it doesn't come to my mind as a comfort food even though i just said that turkey is a comfort Mm -hmm. food for me but like i don't think of like a steak as like Mm. you know cuddle up with a steak you know but cuddling up with like a like a bowl of broth which i guess is protein like it's the warmth though isn't it so let's go back to the definition because those foods that you give us examples (laughs) of there are you when you have those are they are you using them to improve your mood or are they improving your mood just tangentially i'm i'm interested Um, in that i Okay, that's an interesting question because I don't. Hmm. I, I'm going to say this and I'm going to caveat mm. it. I don't know that I eat to improve my mm. mood necessarily, but if I don't eat, you know, everything tanks. Yeah, so, okay. like, if I'm hungry, like just pure hungry, of course you're like, I'm hungry. Like, I need some food. You know, I can't think. Like, of course that happens, but I. I mean, you're, you're talking about like if I'm sad mm, or upset yeah. and like, uh, I don't know. Um, I guess <laughs> I didn't really think about it. I don't, I don't know. Like if I, if I, if I'm feeling down and like make like a batch of cookies or a cup of tea, I don't know if it's really the the like making bread is very yeah. calming. I, I don't know if it's the actually end product of eating the bread that calms me so much as the process. Process. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes just preparing food, like working with that turkey, just feels very comforting to me. Just like maybe it's because of this again primal fear of starvation mm-hmm. or something, and it's like, well, I've got this whole turkey. I got this whole turkey in front of me like I've I've got Mm. food you know like we're good I don't have to worry um I don't know that's interesting an interesting question I'm really going to be watching myself now if I'm if I'm using the food for like modulating my own I don't I don't think I think to some extent what you're describing is is healthy because you know I if I'm feeling particularly agitated I know that if I make bread calmly that it is mm, going mm, to calm me mm. down. Um, okay, you saw my theory on Instagram. I think I commented on mm. one of your posts. Like, I'm like, is the yeast talking yeah. to us? Like, is is that why it's so calming to just like sink your arms into? I know you said that bakers have yeah. um, probiotic fingers, yeast on yeah. their hands, and yeah. And I and I remember a friend telling me a long time ago who was a chef, and he said, you know, whenever you make dough no matter what you even if you use a stand mixer because he he owns a couple of restaurants and he said you still have to put your like hands in it you know and get like that that yeast from your hands into the dough and i always thought that was so interesting um of course our modern world would reject mm. that because that's unsterile but um i don't know I, I wonder if the yeast in the bread talks back to us and and that's why it's so calming just to like ah just gush yourself into that like ah and- I need my arms into I this. think there's also a, a stepping into a kind of a being of the person who makes bread because that is a primal thing that would have been done in order to feed yourself and your family. And our ancestors would have done that yeah. a lot more than we do now, along with other things like, you know, going looking yeah. for tubers and, yeah. and hunting. 
and there's some instinctive i don't know what it is cells dna whatever inside us that when we do that as opposed to engaging with all of the technology that that man has built then we we cut somehow fall into uh, an older part of our nature which feels right yeah. and i know that that sensation yeah. drives both of us in what we do every day you know totally totally mm. I, I i really feel like i wrote in my notes peasant food mm. um because anything that evokes that for me feels like a comfort food oh i am not <laughs> i am not saying that i don't love cinnamon rolls and cookies and oh yeah i love that kind of stuff um i'm just saying also like if you have like a torn hunk of bread yeah. or a like rustic like broken wedge of cheese and it's you know sitting next to this you know good looking maybe pottery bowl mm -hmm. of soup it's just like oh my gosh that is like the perfect comfort food and layer that with coming in with like your cheeks are red yeah. and your fingers are cold and, really and your stomach is growling and your like legs hurt from stacking wood and you're just like this is what life is all about yeah. right here like so that, sit me down that's completely <laughs> different to to the situation we have in our modern world with you know like ben and jerry's ice cream cookie dough that someone would have after coming back from the office and and coming in and going oh i hate right. my job sitting right. down and, and eating ice cream and it, it's okay do you think it's the same mm. do you think it's the same thing it's just being hot wired in a way what do you mean like by sugar maybe mm. but like like you're still you're stressed by you know the emotional tangles of mm. your job versus the like physical exhaustion of your you know oh, stacking I see what or you whatever mean. and and then and then you're you're seeking nourishment mm. Like your brain needs to get the satiety centers like tapped out, mm. right? But you're going in, maybe we're just like going in the wrong direction for it. Well, the wrong in, corner for I, I would yeah, expand yeah. that to say, well, you know, if, if your job's doing that to you, like more than a couple of times a week, then that's a, a call for you to go and find another way of living your life or try to find another way of living your life or change yeah. the situation. That's very yeah. different, I think, from having been physically working all day and being hungry and then coming mm -hmm. back and being mm -hmm. cold and putting your hand around a bowl of soup mm -hmm. and eating and drinking simply. You know, we, we were talking just before we started recording about um, this book, Cytopia, that I'm reading um, at the moment. Yeah. And um, it's written by an Englishwoman called Carolyn, I think Carolyn Steele, and it is fabulous. Anyway, I know she's she's very wow. well read and educated, and she was talking about Epicure, Epicurus and how that philosopher has uh, um, now been kind of associated with eating too much, you know, being a gourmand and eating very, very, very well. But actually, mm -hmm. when you go back to the roots of him, he was basically exhorting doing what you've just said you know the deepest pleasure in food is to be hungry and to eat and drink seep simply and mm. have that first kind of moment of hunger or moment of thirst quenched because that's where real comfort just you know what it's like everyone knows they've been out all day and been on a walk and it's cold and you come back in mm. and there's a cup of tea and a biscuit or there's some soup and you 
you sit down, oh, it's a pleasure to sit down because your legs are exhausted and then you've got this beautiful food and doesn't it taste like the best food you've ever eaten? <laughs> oh. Well, we have this whole saying, hunger is the best sauce. Like, yeah. You know, you everybody, everybody who's traveled has this story about, you know, oh, we, you know, we're in this village and... And we hadn't eaten since 6 a.m. And, and they, like, all they did was they put this thing on the coals. And then we, you know, we ate it. And it's the best mm. thing I've ever had, you know. And, they're, you know, they go to restaurants. And they go here and there. And they're, like, trying to, oh, these people make that same dish. And they're like, ah, yeah. it's just not the same. And it's like, ah, nothing's the same without the environment. And, the, you know, even everything that led up to your meal, um feeds into no pun intended that experience of the food i agree and i also think there's a there's something which um has happened more recently which is the more mm. um prevalence to have snacks and if we're snacking all day oh. we don't get oh. that same oh hunger gosh. signals oh you know what it's gosh. like you've been a day without food you get that Im immense yes. pleasure from that moment that sensation that that comfort yes. But yes. if you've been snacking on things all day, you never get that satisfaction. And maybe that satisfaction is something that's, you know, kind of part of us. And we need that in order to feel normal in life. Yeah. And if we're snacking all the time and we don't get that, well, then maybe we're going to go looking for it somewhere else. Perhaps. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. And maybe, Alison, maybe what's happening is you you know you need mm. that satisfaction. Like your body, like innately craves for it. And maybe you just, you know how like, oh, the, the, the drug you're always looking for the number, but you're yeah. high or, um, you know, you have to do higher and higher stakes in your gambling because the risk, like you just get a little more numb to the feeling, right? So you need like more and more intense risk or whatever. Um, maybe that's what we're doing with the food. Like this comfort food thing gets so out of whack because you really need that mm. hunger and then that sated feeling. Yeah. And so you keep trying to get it, but you're not actually getting it. So you keep trying yeah. again. Oh, and snacking is a new thing. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting when, um, I, I, I can't remember what we talked about. You know, I, I'm sorry to, to the listener if I repeat myself, because I can't remember what Allison and I talk about in real life. <laughs> real life. The podcast. podcast isn't real life. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, offline. <laughs> well, still online. So I don't even know how to say it. I don't know what we talked about, not on air. <laughs> um, but in that book, um, Why We Get Fat by Gary yeah. Tobes, which is a great book to read if you want to hear a little bit about that marketing history, talked about it, was how he said, you know, they the snack industry was starting to reach a dead end because everybody who was going to buy snacks was buying snacks. And so they're like, how do we get you to buy more snacks? And they have their demographics figured out. And they knew, you know, people over a certain age, I'll say like, I don't know, 50 people over 50 didn't eat snacks mm. right so so they knew you know ah well you know it's only young people who eat snacks or whatever and then when they started reading their demographics they found wait a minute you know that 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 data from 10 years ago said people over 50 don't eat snacks but now they do and and what they found was not that um people of a certain age just don't want snacks mm. it was that the people who hadn't grown up yeah. with snacks weren't buying snacks. Yes, yes. They 
didn't have a paradigm for it, their mother told them, don't eat that. You'll spoil your supper. Mm. You know, that famous yeah, kind of yeah. mom phrase. Um, and now there's like... We have snacks in the yeah. car. We have snacks at, you know, get-togethers. We, You guys instituted, like, tea, you know, <laughs> afternoon Blame tea. Um, but that's... <laughs> no, 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 not saying it's... I'm saying it's like that, that one break because, you know, in your, you know, that British yeah. kind of culture, this is every, everything I know about you I learned mm. from books, so sorry if it's wrong. But, um, you know, your dinner was a little bit later yeah. in the day, so that was like you're in between. But it was because you're not snacking that you're, you know, your blood sugar would be dropping, you would need a little bit of something. It wasn't like this, you know, there's these fancy teas I've seen people do, you know, but this wasn't always from what I've mm. read. <laughs> about your people um this wasn't always like this huge full-blown like gigantic meal it was just like a little bit to keep you going until your you know your protein hit of i night. don't i wish i knew the history um, of, of um afternoon tea because it seems to be a very elitist thing to do in england you know that you can go to the ritz and you can go well, to the posh what, hotels I, and have I, them, I read about but, the other day you know. that well I, I read that that queen victoria was the one who instituted yeah. but i was like wait that seems fairly recent i thought it was older than that but then it is a very elite thing because um you're eating later at night this is again everything i learned about your your folk i learned from books but because you're eating later at night because you are upper upper class yeah and that's you know people people are getting together and you can up. have electric lights got, like, or you can afford lights in the evening clothes. whereas the other yeah, people have to go to lights. bed when it's dark <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> after they wash your dishes. Right. Um, so, but, and then I guess we can blame Tolkien for all the snacks because he came around with Elevenses and yeah. second breakfast and all this stuff. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's inter be interesting to look at other cultures and see how the snack thing works with them because I think really um, with Gabriel, it's been really interesting to see how we have wanted him to eat pattern wise during the day and how other parents have wanted their kids to eat or or have have had their kids eat because i mean i would say out of all of the families we've known in various different countries ever since gabriel was a kid we are probably one of the uh -huh. only ones who do not give their kids snacks and you know mm. we would from the point where the kids are in the buggy you know the the mum's going out with a bag with little bits of um, rice cakes and nuts and this and that and the other and then you know when there was an opportunity to go to houses or go to to a preschool there's always a snack and and when we would say to people we don't snack we're like, what but, but your kid needs you know they're, they're gonna they're gonna have a meltdown if they don't snack you know they're not gonna have enough well oh no. you know of course you're gonna have a meltdown if the food you have yeah. is nutrient devoid if you don't have enough say, saturated <laughs> fat to satiate you if you haven't had enough fat yes, to satiate you through the morning <laughs> then animal yeah. what <laughs> um and i think it's yeah, a big, okay. big big thing that, that makes sense people certainly in europe the people that i've met think that that kids need mm. to snack otherwise they're going to implode and it you know it, i suppose it's you know as the parents do if the parents snack well then the kid's going to learn to snack just like if the parents eat liver yeah, the kid's going right, to eat right. liver probably um but 
We, why did the parents? Why did the parents learn how to snack? Well, yeah. Because that's what we have to hunt down. Why did the parents learn how to snack? Because if you keep counting back far enough, their parents didn't yeah. snack. So where did it start? And it was all marketing yeah, yeah. by marketers trying to sell more food because they're selling you. I mean, this can all be traced historically. You can go. I'm not just making this up. You can go back and read about this in these books. But these. You know, you can only sell so much yogurt for breakfast, okay? You know, after you eat breakfast, after you eat lunch, Mm -hmm. after you eat dinner, then what? So we have to invent more things for you to buy in between. So then in come the snacks. And then nobody wants to buy them because they're like, but I already had breakfast. I'm waiting until lunch, Mm -hmm. right? I don't want to spoil my lunch. Well, then we have these terms invented. Snack attack. Snack attack is a marketing term invented by a chip company. Mm -hmm. It's not just something that people are like, oh, it was an architect, you know, like this is a term that was invented. You know, all, all these slogans that people think is just cultural, they're marketing but slogans. It, but it's mainstream now, you know, it's food. mainstream and, and doctors will tell you yes. to. I remember when, yeah. when I was first diagnosed with polycystic ovaries and I read a book that was about mm. healing your polycystic ovaries and there was a large section in it about diet. And it talked about maintaining blood sugar levels throughout the day. And it said for people with polycystic ovaries, it's better to eat five or six smaller meals a day rather than three bigger ones. And so therefore I used to snack, you know, healthily in quotes for the, for what I knew at the time, because it was 20 years ago, but I used to snack in order to, in quotes, keep my blood sugar up. So I wouldn't have problems with blood Mm. sugar spikes, which you know, feed into polycystic ovaries and mean that your body is producing too much um, insulin. Oh, but it's interesting that really since I, I'm trying to think when I stopped snacking and I can't remember if I used to snack when I was vegan oh and raw vegan or whether the snacking just made me think of stopped thousand. when I started eating saturated fat. But I think well, why is your mm. why is your blood sugar spike? Well, yeah, exactly because there's not because you haven't got the right nutrient balance in what you're eating in the three meals right, a day, exactly. And also because you've taught your body yeah. to do it, like you, like I believe. If you're eating mm, go on. almonds and raisins for a snack, of course your blood sugar yeah. is going to spike. Like, I mean, I yeah, okay. This is so interesting. This is so, I did not. This is not in my notes. I wasn't expecting us to start talking about this. <laughs> not in mine either. <laughs> it's the best though. But right, it's, we're, um, off, we're off trail uh, now. What was I going to say? Because you said something earlier on about um, snacking. Okay. You said that you don't know when you yeah, stopped snacking. Yeah, I don't snacking. know when I stopped snacking. You couldn't trace And I, th- I know that I don't snack now at all. And I, I don't feel a need to snack at all. And I know that a lot of my health issues were resolved through um, eating more saturated fat. And it's interesting that these addictions that I had as a child to comfort food. So when I was a kid um, and I was overweight and a teenager, I used to eat, it was really things that were sweet and that were creamy that gave me that mm. sensation that would knock out the other things. So I used to, you know, when yeah. I found condensed milk. Cause you're probably craving. Yeah like saturated fat you're probably craving and also really bad. i mean white sugar is just ridiculously addictive so i used to find creamy things and make sure i had sugar right. in it. so that's why i like white chocolate that's why i like I, I used to get extra thick yogurt and i used to put sugar in it and stir it around and eat it um and then when Ooh, i wow. when i moved 
to want it. Yeah. Wow. And that, that's how addictive. <laughs> Literally, heard of that. And now I used you, to you've never put told me that spoons before. of sugar in yogurt and stir it around and eat it. Um, that sounds disgusting. When no one was looking. <laughs> like, like I mean, I mean, you can say comfort foods that people are addicted to, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, cinnamon rolls. That sounds pretty good. But I don't know. Just putting yeah. straight sugar in yogurt it, actually. Sugar is good. sugar is my has been honey, my nemesis. Honey, honey and yogurt. That's nice. Honey and yogurt. I do like. I do like. Um, but I think when I when I lost the weight originally, when I was between twenty and twenty one. Mm-hmm. I continued snacking because I cut fat out of my diet back then, which I would never do now if I went back then. But then I continued with sugar. So I was continuing to kind of need to have snacks because I was using sugar as my main kind of source of energy and not having that stability that protein and fat helps. And I remember Mm. um, eating when when we were vegan and we were in Italy and we were raw vegan. I do remember I still had problems with foods because I used to make these chocolate bars out of dehydrated buckwheat, which I'd sprouted. And I used to mix it up with kind of raw cacao and some other kind of raw sugary sweet things. And I was completely addicted to them. I mean, literally, I I remember making about 40 of them and saying to Rob, you have to hide this tubberware from me because I cannot not what? eat them. He had to take the tubberware and hide it somewhere in our flat, so I didn't know where it was. And I just don't have any of that again since then. You know, I since I then, yeah. you know, I went back to I went to ancestral foods initially because of fertility, but since looking at those foods in the face that I was terrified of, like cheese. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get fat. You know, fat, fatty meats, mm-hmm. and in, incorporating those back in my diet, I just all that stuff with the food that I couldn't stop eating has just kind of disappeared. I don't, I don't know where it went. You know, it, it's, um, hmm. it's fascinating to try and unravel how much of it is psychological, how much of it is nutrition deficiencies, how much of it comes from the media, how much of it is from our families, how much of it is not trusting ourselves. It's a tangle that you, you're so individual for each person who's listening and also is impossible to to kind of thread back, you know, Um, but it's fascinating still. Do you feel like if somebody gave you a piece of that Mm. chocolate Mm. thing today, it would be a problem or you'd be like, you know, like if you actually ate it, Mm. you know, would, would you be like, I need more of them? Or do you feel like you'd just be like, no, absolutely not. I probably wouldn't want to eat it. Um, no, it sounds gross. <laughs> but um, I no, it wouldn't be a problem. Huh. But it's very. It's, again, huh. it's difficult okay. for me to 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 kind of extrapolate this onto anyone else because I mean I don't eat any sugar, right? And I don't do that because right. I'm right. because I well I don't do that because I was addicted to sugar and I can't handle sugar. I do that because I know what sugar does right, to my right, body right. and to my cycle and yeah. to. My, my, my body just can't handle sugar it can't at all so I don't eat any sugar now, do so you... I don't have the problem with being having a bit of sugar and then wanting more because I don't eat sugar and I've got used to it yeah yeah do you mean refined sugar or do you like you said something the other day you made you baked something but you put molasses in it or or, or no the yeah. root beer I think so the, the root so sugars sugars still show so up sometimes the root beer I had I didn't have much of it but I figure that most of the well we we leave it to ferment until it's not sweet anymore to start with so I figure that most mm, of the sugar's gone mm, and I mm. really don't eat or drink things That's like that in quantity saying. at all. Um, I don't have okay. fruit either. 
No. So I literally, I literally have the only sugar okay. I have has been turned into something else in water kefir or something like right. a root beer or a right. beer. Um, I don't have any straight foods that are simple sugars. Yeah. And and does Gabriel ever have yeah. any? Things yeah, he do? does. Um, you posted something the other day he had that was like a little sweet. Yeah, he does. He so Rob and Gabriel eat um, things with sugar in. Generally, they eat fat and they eat fruit, sorry, every day. So Rob has like three or four pieces of fruit a day. Gabriel has like a piece, piece and a half of okay. fruit every day. But it doesn't give them no. the same vertigo. No. Because they don't okay. have my history of, okay. of overdosing on sugar for 15 right. years and it being the right. reason why they were obese. Um, so they don't have yeah. the same gut biome, even though Gabriel the... obviously got my gut biome because he was a natural birth. And so right. I've been very, right. like, as a mother, very kind of tentative and a bit wary about it. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But they we don't use sugar that much. Generally, we use we have sugar in the house because we use it for water kefir and we use it for bread crevasse. Right. Very right. occasionally, I will make kind of a muffin treat, but sometimes, mostly, I will put honey in it. Sometimes, Gabe, maybe once a month, Gabe will have honey on on his bread. Sometimes he makes little jams out of fruits that he just warms up, but he doesn't put any um, sugar in it. Um, and then I think the last time he ate proper sugar was his birthday last year when he wanted um, an apple crumble. So I made. Um, a small, mm. a small, tiny apple crumble for him, which had some um, okay. unrefined brown sugar in the crumble on the top. So mm, okay. that was April. So mm. isn't it interesting talking about this because it's 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 fascinating. You know, when we we pick a topic and it's it it branches mm. out into so many different directions. You know, it's like the spokes on a wheel. There's not really one thing that's not connected, and then it starts spinning so fast, and you can't. You know, it all becomes yeah. a blur and you can't see between the two. But um, I was thinking while you were talking about snacking mm. and I was trying to think about um, what I like, what do we what do we do for snacks? Mm. And uh, I don't know. A snack just seems like so much work to me because it's, <laughs> it's like. You have to prepare a whole other thing. Mm. <laughs> I just don't, I, I don't know. There, If the kids are like, I'm really hungry. And, I'll, you know, I usually say something, well, I want you to eat your dinner, so I'm not giving you whatever, whatever. You know, but like, how do you feel mm. right now? Then it's like, okay, well, you can have a slice of cheese, okay. you know. So there's, and it's not like I would make my kids stand there like crying. I'm yeah, hungry. Yeah. You know, nobody, you know, call the police on me or something. But, um, you know, I was like, I'm, in, I'm almost done making dinner. You can wait. Mm. It's okay to yeah. be hungry That's sometimes. a really important thing Maybe to say. It's okay to be hunger. hungry. <laughs> yeah. Not, again, I'm not making them, like, starve until they pass out or something. Um, it's just a normal waiting. Oh, that's interesting now that even me saying that, thinking that somebody's going to think I'm abusing yeah. my child by making them wait yeah. for dinner. Like, what a what a culture to yeah. live in. Um and I wonder if I was just thinking about this while you were you're talking about you know your meals and and snacks mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about what happens on the days when we turn to snacks and I'm thinking it's like um, the days when just something frenetic yeah. like frantic time based crazy stuff is happening and I was thinking the rise of snacks and the decline yeah. of like the family meal seem yeah. to happen at the same time and I wonder if it's because in a way, when you know a meal time is coming, 
it's okay to be hungry. And I was thinking, um, with Young Living has sent me on some of their like retreats. And when you go on a retreat, you thought with Young Living, you just go to farms. Mm. <laughs> and so they take us out to their farm and, you know, they feed you breakfast in the morning and then they have lunch at a certain time. And then you go back and you mm. have dinner. Right. And you get so hungry in between and you're just like walking around in fields and doing whatever kind of activities they have for you. But you're like, oh, I just can't wait. Like, you're just looking forward to that lunch. Mm. It's like, oh, it's going to be so good, you know, and they always serve kind of like these, you know, ancestrally sort of meals, you know, like meat and sourdough bread and stuff like that. So you're like, oh, I just can't wait to eat it, you know, and it's hot mm. and you're just going to be so satisfied, you know. Um, and I remember thinking when I was out there at the first one, cause I, I came, you know, it was just me and, um, whoever, I think Camille was the baby at the time when I went to the first one and I didn't bring anything with me. Like I had no snacks, you know, no little nothing. Mm. And so, so I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. Like I'm going to be so hungry. And I almost thought. Like, oh no, like I didn't bring anything to eat, you know? And then I was like, well, they're going to give you a meal. You're not going to die. I was breastfeeding. So of course wow. you're like always yeah. hungry, but, <laughs> but it was, it was just an interesting moment because I've never really been, my food's never really been in somebody else's control. Yeah. It's always yeah. me that determines when the yeah. meals are. And so that was, it, it made me think for a minute, like when Gary comes in and he says, when is dinner? You know? Um, and I'm like, well, it'll be dinner is, dinner is, you know, like, I mean, obviously, you know, um, and he was like, yes, but when, and I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of like, like he's not yeah. determining when the meals are. So he wants to know when they are. And then it's now it's making me think, okay, um, is this a part of like a food insecurity issue if I have to have snacks with me all the time because I don't have a predictive me I, I don't know I, I don't know if I can un unravel this completely right now but it just like feeling where does that meal time sitting down coming in hungry and knowing the food will be there play into the snacking and then I don't know if, if this is the same for mm -hmm. you but I also when I really started observing my tendencies like if you want something like if you're craving something at, like look at why I'm not saying like don't go satisfy it I'm just saying look at why and I I have observed I don't know if this is the same for any other women but when I'm on my period I tend to want to like snack on things I don't know why like I don't know why that is I'm like I just want to like bite a piece of cheese or especially look for sweet things like i want something sweet right now i don't know why oh is that weird for anybody else hmm interesting there's so many things in what you just said and there's one thing that <laughs> that i do want to say about that kind of observing thing because i think there's a there's a well maybe it's just because i'm so kind of um willing to look at myself and perhaps sometimes a bit too much and blame mm. myself for my habits but i think there's also a Ooh. a case for trusting what your own body is telling you and trusting your senses because until yeah. you do that you won't be able to trust your senses you know if you always say well i, I want this sweet thing 
and obviously that's wrong because I'm the and you don't have it then oh. you're, you're never giving yourself the opportunity to to put yourself in that situation yeah. and know that you can trust yourself and that's good I also Alison. think that mm. there's there's something which is for me was been was very hard but something that the rod rob tried to teach me which was you know sometimes have that thing but have it without the sense of panic and shame and all the other stuff that is kind of around oh. you deciding to have it have it and really yeah. really really enjoy it. it feel every sensation every taste every texture you know every single moment of it because then you you will actually get the satisfaction from it. I think very often we, we crave these things, or I did in the past, and we like, right, I've got to have it. And then it's a panic, you know, I don't want to see, or I don't want this, and I shouldn't be doing this. And then we wolf it down. And then it didn't give us any satisfaction anyway. And we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to trust that we can stop to actually experience that thing. And so, you know, sometimes it's right to question why you're doing it, but sometimes it's also right to just do it, but maybe do it without, try to right. consciously overpower the potential shame and panic and and go yeah I'm just right. going to enjoy this and I, and and what I found through doing that was that I could be trusted but it took a damn long time you know it wow. took a damn long time for me to go wow. look you can eat this cheese Alison and you're not going to eat all of it you can eat this thing here this this bread and when I first when I first started eating bread again after not eating bread for ages, it was a bit of a mess. I was just like, oh, bread, 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 <laughs> bread, bread, bread. I remember. Um, but through wow. consciously engaging with that food stuff, slowly trusting that I could have a loaf of bread inside in front of me and only eat what was right uh -huh. for me, and and that's taken like like literally 20 years for me to be able to look at foods that I like and say actually look I've put too much on my plate there I don't think I'm going to be able to eat all that and put a bit less or leave some mm. and I know we're probably getting more into the into the realms of kind of weight loss and addiction than comfort foods a bit but still I think that it's all know, related yeah. it's 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 all related. it's important to trust yourself and give yourself the space to make mistakes and learn that you can trust yourself. Otherwise you'll never be able to trust yourself. Yes. And and I know we hear people say, and I, I wanna be very careful when I say this, but I know we hear people say like, you know, oh, you know, keep, keep a food diary if you, you know, if you're like self-soothing with food or like turn, you know, don't, don't eat food to comfort yourself. I'm gonna go ahead and say, like, if you're going through trauma, yeah. And you want a brownie? <laughs> Eat a brownie. Yeah. <laughs> but also, if your life is one perpetual string mm. of trauma after mm. another, the food may be soothing you, but we now have a larger problem to deal with, mm. which is we need to figure out how you can live a life that is not one perpetual string of trauma after another that needs to be numbed out. And I think that's that's a um, life's work. Think, it, it has been for me, you know. It's yeah. been a, a 180 from how I lived my life 20 years ago to now. And it's blooming difficult right. to to go against the grain yeah. of society um, and, and make different decisions. But you're so right that though that's a vital thing if that stress is chronic because of your life situation right. then you can't necessarily change you it overnight can. but slowly 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 no. slowly you can no 
and that will affect that will yes. affect food. I, I just want I just want to emphasize the fact that food, the fact that food can be calming, to my mind, exists for a reason. Like when you're sick, you want someone to mm. bring you that broth like you want to be soothed you want to be calmed when it when an infant cries mm-hmm. the mother puts the infant to her breast you know we want to be soothed and and that's that i think is fairly normal i yeah. think but again if you're just in a constant yeah perpetual state of like you know something traumatic is happening all the time there's you know, whatever you're using to deal with the trauma is going to become a problem at some point yeah. because it will just become too much. You know, it's it's not a chronic, it's not a chronic fixer. It's like a an acute yeah. <laughs> fixer, I guess. Yeah, I no, that's say. a really good way of explaining um, it. Tell me what your what your foods like and, that. And I, I want to know what it is that you were talking about earlier. You were mentioning soups and that kind of thing. Tell <laughs> me what your foods are. Oh, yeah that you would use like that yeah I, you know i in my mind i envisioned that most of this podcast would be talking about the food but i'm realizing now that that's not even like the philosophy or the ideas behind it the psychology of the comfort food is so much more interesting um i guess i did write some things mm. down um i made a batch of cookies yesterday and i thought to myself oh this feels like yeah. a comfort food to me i think you you alluded to um you know, when we talked about doing this podcast, we were talking about that we have the opportunity as parents to help shape what our children will see as mm. comfort foods. And I feel like that's really important because um, a lot of the things that I think of as comfort foods is because I remember yeah. making them with my mom when I was yeah. a kid. And that's why it's comforting. Um, so, but then... I'm also having to figure out how to hack my own um, desire for comfort foods. And one of those things is, so I'm going to use the cookies as a specific mm-hmm. example. So I'm the second, I'm the second oldest of eight. Any other big families out there, shout out, you know. And when there's a lot of kids in the family, and I don't know if this is specific to me or if this is just, I, I've talked to other kids from big families and they're like, oh yeah, that's totally how it is. Like, when there's cookies, you eat as many as you can, as fast as you can, because there'll be none when you come back. <laughs> and I feel like that, um, not in everybody, but in sometimes in some of us, that can set off, like, uh, I don't know if it's like a poverty mindset, yeah, some kind okay. of a trigger around food, where I think, like you said, you look at your plate and you think, oh, I took too much bread. Or you said, I went bread, 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 because I hadn't had it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you went a little bit crazy on it. That's how it can feel, because I think, well, you know, cookies are a huge production to make. They're not really, but, you know, cookies are a production to make. This is an ordeal. We, we don't do this all the time. They're just such a special thing. So I better just eat as many as I can right now because they'll be gone. And there's not this concept of I'll just eat mm-hmm. one. So what I have to do for myself is make the batch of dough, divide the mm-hmm. dough, freeze some of the dough, mm-hmm. Because for whatever reason, then psychologically, when I eat a cookie, I'm like, well, I really don't need to eat. I can, I really don't need to eat that many. I can eat one because I know if I really, really want another one, I can go get the dough out and make it. And the odds of me wanting to go get Mm -hmm. the dough out and make it right away are like very low. 
um, because it's just it's just a mental a mental thing. It's not an actual physical need. It's just this mental idea of well, it's going to be gone. And 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 there's this I, there's this phrase that we use. Um, I've heard other kids from big families use it like good food, right? So we're so used to having, you know, the soups and the stews and the comforting things that you can make for 12 people easily as a mom, right? Um, and any sort of like individually prepared dish <laughs> is like good food, you know? Okay. Um, so when we see those things like at parties or, you know, you, you know, you think, oh, well, I should eat a lot of this because this will be gone, I won't have another chance. I, I, I don't really totally know how to explain it, but maybe somebody else, either half the audience is thinking, I, this lady has lost it. Or the other half is thinking, I don't know. I can get that. Even though about. I don't come from a big family, I can get that. You know, that if there was like, you know, seven siblings around me, that I would come back and like, I want another cookie. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're gone. And never, I should emphasize, never were we hungry. We never, my mom made, you know, three meals a day. We sat down at the table and eat. Never did we not have, there was never like a food mm. shortage ever in my life that I could ever remember. So I should emphasize that. So I don't, again, it's not an actual Real like, thing. I grew up yeah. hungry and yeah. I think it's important no, it's what not. you say it's about like making them because I think with, engaging Gabriel in the food making as part of the kitchen and through making three meals a day, everything here, um, he is seeing how much effort goes into making good, real, nourishing food. And therefore, hopefully, it's a different, um, it's a completely different kettle of fish to how it was when I woke up, when, when I, sorry, when I woke up, when I grew up, that, you know, things came from the <laughs> store and you could just go out and buy them and we kind of don't do that and so yeah, he's yeah. learning a different value to food than the value i put on food and, and i think it's quite important what you're saying that if you put the rest of the dough in the freezer you you understand well, i've got to make all of this in order to have more that's a really good point and and i heard somebody say the saying once like oh, it's not junk food if it's made at home or something like that. And eh, that it can mm. be. <laughs> but um, what I kind of take that idea to mean is, and I've, I've thought this before, and we don't totally abide by this, but just the concept is in my mind. Like, if you are making everything, it really slows down the rate at what yeah. of what you can consume of like a um, processed kind of product. So you're making your own cookies, you're making your own bagels, you're making your own, you know, you will not eat as much yeah, of completely. them because it is a lot of work. And yes, you can do things like I did with the dough, like you can make and freeze it, you know, just to just probably there will come a time when I won't have to do that <laughs> because it will be, you know, mentally, I won't need that mm. right crutch. Right. But, um, you can still, you can overeat junk food that you make at home, but when you make all your food at home, it, it I think it naturally modulates yeah. um, how much you're going to eat. And the other thing that we run into around like holidays is like we, we get the kids candies for mm -hmm. holidays and we get, you know, all organic, you know, real sugar, no dyes and or just to make things at home, mm -hmm. one or the other. And people say to me, well that is too expensive we can't get that we couldn't get enough to which i say 
that's the whole yeah. point. It naturally controls how much of the sweets you bring into your home because you're like, ha, that candy cane was $5. You are each getting one and it's going to last you all December. Like, it, <laughs> you better enjoy this candy cane, right? But if you can buy packs and packs and packs of them for 99 cents, buy one, get yeah. one free, those BOGOs that you talked about, you can just eat them until yeah. you're like, you blow your brains out with them because uh, there's no limit to how much you can, I don't know. So, yes. Yeah. Natural. Natural I think we need um, a podcast of four hours to stop talking about this. <laughs> so you had you had cookies. Alison, do we have some feelings to unpack on this? <laughs> you had cookies there. What else did you have on your list? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, geez. I forgot. I was reading the list, wasn't I? Okay, where did that go? Um, okay, cookies, bread, yeah. soup, <laughs> stew, tea, mm. slash any hot beverage so it's funny that you said mm. hot um cooking with large chunks of meat slash bones mm. i don't i don't know i find that very very satisfying and just baking like the actual activity mm. um of baking i find That's i find bread that that was one of my what i would define as my comfort food now mm. um yeah yeah not that i you know i just i really enjoy it when i eat it and it feels so yeah. satisfying yeah. to me. And, and I think it comes from knowing that I made it or Gabriel helped make it. And it's, it's from our starter. Mm. It's the thing that we do, you know, it feels so wonderful. Yeah. And porridge is the same yeah. or similar for me, but I, I do like it warm. I don't like, I, I make a lot, yeah, but I heat it up if I leave it in the fridge. Um, and it, it just feels warm and thick and unctuous and lovely so yes I think warm and thick unctuous it, yeah i put hot warm digestible, digestible healing yeah. those were the words that came to mind when i thought of comfort foods which is not to say that like a cookie is not it's not really digestible um you can make it more digestible but, but. it's not really yeah i mean it's it's it soaks mm. overnight so i guess it's kind of digestible but um it's not as digestible as like you know <laughs> three day sourdough bread i have tea on my list but, too um, because um my favorite tea is yes. um cacao husk tea and it it has such a chocolatey know. flavor and yet it's just a drink and the reason i find to think of it as a comfort food is because i generally stop when i have it so i will make it and i will make a point of sitting Ooh, down so and doing nothing again, and just savoring the luxury of that moment and the beautiful flavor of the cacao so it, oh, it's not nice. something that i'm addicted to i mean you could take it away from me i'd be a bit sad mm -hmm. but i'm not going to claw it back off you you know <laughs> um but <laughs> i um i do find it comforting <laughs> because it gives me an opportunity to stop and indulge in something and and it's something that's nourishing and health supporting as well i do it also with yeah. the liquid swaps that comes off the scottish suins that i make so when i make the suins and i ferment Ooh. the the bits of the oat there's a liquid on the top that ferments and it creates a, a kind of a quite sour tangy drink 
that you can heat up and I heat it up often with like cinnamon and cloves and nutmeg and ginger and then this is kind of like a mulled drink like you'd have mulled wine it's mulled swats and I will sit with my hands around that in a mug and I will really enjoy that and that does a similar thing to me it it's me sitting down for a moment and enjoying the sensation and the luxury of that that thing in my hands that warm thing um, so I, I do get the tea thing definitely and I think that you know that yeah. perhaps that's a good definition of a kind of comfort food the fact that with that tea I take time to sit down and be still and maybe when we come back from a field and we've been working all day as you were describing earlier with the bread mm. and the cheese yeah. at the table with a soup we're sitting down and we're savoring that moment and therefore the food becomes naturally comforting because it's it's the moment that matters it's that moment of nourishing and and indulging in that luxury of of sating a hunger or tasting the chocolate of a tea um and enjoying it yeah and do you do you i know we're ready <laughs> but do you have specific like with with mm. Gabriel, I just want to know: Is there are you shaping specific environments with foods for him? Like, can you think of specific instances? So I will often sit with him and have a tea, and I will make tea for both of us, and we will both sit oh. down and drink it together. And then you know, when we have dinner, oh. we have dinner at the table when in, in a in a way that we're all together and we take a moment before we eat our food to, to kind of connect with each other. And we'll have, we'll be talking about what's on the plate. We'll be talking about the, the kind of the bits of the fat at lunchtime that I had on my plate. We'll be talking yeah. about the bread. Yeah. And sometimes we'll have two different types of bread and we'll be saying, well, do you remember you did that one? Or which one do you prefer? Do you prefer this one? Should I, uh -huh. should I make it different the next time? And so, I'm uh -huh. nurturing an environment where he's been part of the food and we create an environment where, the f where we stop and enjoy the food and then the food creates a discussion as well. Um, I think that's the kind of question you were asking me. I feel like I just tell the kids, eat it. I don't care if you like <laughs> it. <laughs> but <laughs> I should probably do a little more of that. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I'm, I am sure. I am sure that he will grow up and wherever he is in the world he'll have a cup of tea and it will bring him comfort yeah. in that I way so. because it it will evoke for him I, I think food can be like language in that way i i heard a an an um or i read what an immigrant from germany said mm. once where she said it living in my second language is hard because the word chair has no i have no memories yeah. of this word yeah. chair and when she says, you know, the German word, it she remembers mm. grandma's chair mm. and mom's chair and sitting in a chair and how it feels to be in a chair, right? There's no association. So for Gabriel, he'll take his tea in a different country, in a different mm. place, you know, maybe with a different person or whatever, but tea will draw out that memory. I hope him. so. And you know, I, I, so I kind of feel like because I didn't have those sensations and those experiences as a child as I'm having them now eating nourishing health supporting comforting food I feel like when I take the moments to 
create them and share them with Gabriel or share them with Rob, I'm filling in a hole in my past and oh. just slowly, slowly wow. healing myself by creating something that, that I didn't have, but I'm building it now. That's such a healthy way to think about it. And I hope that we can all use that with our comfort food and to create, accept, and enjoy the comfort food and the experiences that we're putting together for ourselves. Yeah, amen. Amen. That's probably a good place to stop. I'm looking at my watch and thinking we've gone over an hour for sure. All right, hour 15. (laughs) Right, we've gone over an hour. Is there there anything else you want to add? (laughs) No, we'll have to pick this up in another way on another day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, shall I finish by reading the little quote that I said I might read? Because it's really quite nice. Yes, close this. Okay, so it's um, a quote from um, Marcel Proust from his book called uh, La Richesse de Temps Perdu in French, but it's in English, thank goodness. It's quite short. And he's talking about the taste of a Madeleine biscuit dunked in tea. And he says, No sooner had the warm liquid and the crumbs with it touched my palate than a shudder ran through my whole body. And I stopped, intent upon the extraordinary changes that were taking place. An exquisite pleasure had invaded my senses, but individual, detached, with no suggestion of its origin. And at once the vicissitudes of life had become indifferent to me, its disasters innocuous, its brevity brevity illusory. This new sensation having had on me the effect which love has of filling me with a precious essence, or rather this essence was not in me, it was myself. I wanted to share that because I think it's beautiful. (laughs) That's what it says. I haven't read the 4,000 pages, but apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So let's let's leave it at that and I shall go upstairs and and, um, get some supper. All right, and I'll go upstairs. Yeah, and have about some time. About time. You're going to be hungry, so you're really going to enjoy All right. it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. I'm really going to be savoring it. I'm always hungry Beautiful. when I wake up. So, go. Cool. Okay. Well, Allison, it's good yeah, chatting with you, always. and I'll see you. Yeah. See you soon. Bye. <laughs> hey. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth and Allison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. Bye.